Uh, hi, Kim Duke. Hey, Chris Duke. Oh, yeah, that's how we start the show. Sorry. That's okay. I, I, I <laughs> caught on very quickly. <laughs> um, so I told you before we started recording that I, I had some bananas news. He's pregnant. Uh, <laughs> damn it. Congrats. Thank you. Um, so at work today, uh, my boss came over to my, my cubicle and he was like, did you, did you do the voiceover for a commercial? <laughs> and I was like, what? No. For their commercial? Yeah. And I was like, no, no, I didn't. He's like, you sure? I wouldn't. Yeah. It wasn't me. They hired somebody named Chris Duke to do the voiceover for our commercial. That's what? That's yeah. really funny. And they didn't think once. To ask the, the Chris Duke? Yeah. <laughs> like that pops up and nobody went, oh shit, just like the guy that works here. That we see all the time and did photos for us. Yeah. And has recording equipment. Yeah. Did you tell him next time? No, I was just like, I, it, so then I had to Google the guy. And what's he look like? He, he's tan. He's in his fifties at least. And, um, likes tools. So he does like voiceovers specifically for tools. Okay. Which, you know, I feel like if you do voiceovers, you just... Do voiceovers for you whatever. Do voiceovers for whatever. Speaking of whatever, we have a guest today. Wait, do we have any other updates before we bring up with the guest? Oh yeah, you got anything? <laughs> okay. No, the last time we went to the dentist. <laughs> I'm trying to remember our conversation with Clifton. We had our yeah, we we talked about how the it's called hand. Oh, if you did listen to that episode, the technique is called hand over mouth. Did you talk about that in the episode? Yeah. Oh, I think I went somewhere for a while in my hand head. Hand over mouth was the technique that they would use for children who were being ornery. Ornery. I love that They're word. They're loud, wiggly. What you would do is you would put your hand over their mouth until they stopped kicking and screaming. What is now known as suffocation. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, I think that's just murder. It's murder. They're murdering babies. Today I was like, I'm going to actually do my hair and my makeup and try and dress like a normal person because I haven't done that for so long. And I walked out of the house and I started driving and I'm like, oh, I still have my Crocs on. <laughs> <laughs> so I got 75% there. All right. So uh, okay. today's guest, uh, we met at Bicycle Repair Camp uh, back in set 03. I mean, you probably don't want to know how young I was in 03. <laughs> Gosh, we're old. Oh, no. Are you 24? No. I'm 28 now, but. <laughs> I like the. Uh. I Well, I think I stopped cognizantly aging at like 26. So every birthday since then, I've kind of had to like think about it every time I answer. That's like I hit 30 and I don't remember how old I am yeah. after that. Yeah. So, Kim, this is the second author that we've had on. On yeah, our, our podcast. I saw that slightly different genres. Slightly yes. different genres. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but books nonetheless. Um, but I'm I'm psyched. So we first spoke when um, Mackenzie was on. Yes, and when there was a hot debate, a very hot debate <laughs> about the pronunciation of, of the last name L A V Y. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know if you listened to that episode. I did. But I threw Eugene 
saying his name yeah. all up and down you that threw, episode. You threw Did me you really? right under the bus, too. <laughs> that's really funny. <sighs> I was very adamantly wrong, which is kind of my brand, so that's okay. So anyways, round of applause for Rachel Levi. <laughs> Levi. Levi. <laughs> <laughs> there's, as, uh, I don't even... Yeah, I've gotten to the point in my life where I don't correct people. Like no matter what comes out of their mouth, uh, Levi is actually very a uh, very common. Oh, really? Yep. Yep. With a Y. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. Levi and Levy are probably always before Levy. No one ever jumps to Levy right away. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's because Eugene screwed it up. Yep. Dang it, Eugene. Yep. You know what? Out of sheer disrespect and spite, let's start calling him Eugene. <laughs> Eugene and Don. <laughs> um, okay, so for, well, so first of all, how do you and Mackenzie know each other? Uh, so we actually met um, because she used to work at um, the place of employment. Not to like be too personal, where um, I met my husband, um, and she started working there ugh, six months to a year after I left. Uh, and they worked in the same department together. And then we actually found out that we were neighbors. We lived in the same, not in the same apartment building, but in like a complex. Wow. And we could see each other, our apartments across the like um, parking spot from each other. <laughs> um, so it was kind of one of those things where uh, <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, this, she seems really cool. And I can tell she's really cool because she fights with my husband all the time. <laughs> And uh, so, like, I, like, looked at her Tumblr and was like, oh, yeah, she's into, like, all the same shit that I'm into. So I would just, like, reached out. And at the time, uh, I wasn't I was just pregnant. We hadn't had the kid yet. So I would, like, still go out and hang out with all the um, people that work there because that was, like, our whole friend group. And so she would come out to basically our Cheers bar and oh, just okay. got to know her. Um, and then she was in my wedding. <laughs> like a year later oh that's so. awesome that's so cool yeah um so just kind of one of those fast track friendships oh awesome that's super cool um so now let's let's dive into the the history of one raquel levi now i so i haven't made it through the whole book just yet but from what i have gotten through I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that. And, but the the way that you, man, the, just the words that you use to describe certain things. I just want to let you know that Chris doesn't read either. So the <laughs> fact that he is actually reading your book is huge. I Great. do not like, he, the like only, reading. He hates reading. He's, I think while we've been together, you've read two, maybe three books. We've been together for 14 years. Dang. Angels and Demons is one. Yep, yep, yep. And then I think you read two other Dan yeah. Brown books. Which, That's actually really funny because there's these like online quizzes where you paste your writing into them and they'll tell you like the the algorithm will like look at it and analyze what writer you're most like. Um, and every time I've done it, I get Dan, Dan Brown and I'm just like, oh, wow. Okay. There you go. That's why you it's read fine. the Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I get the, the hesitation because... Um, he does the same thing every book. Yeah, yeah. So I get it. <laughs> like by the time I read the the third one, I was like, okay, they're just different names. Yeah. That's all you're doing, guy. Um, 
but yeah, the, the, the words that you use reminded me so much of like when I was younger, that's how I was. Like I was using words that other kids were not using. <laughs> like I got picked, I wrote a short, short story. And in like our district, I was one of four kids that got picked to go and present it at, uh, uh, Oregon state cool. in front of all these college kids. It was pretty sweet. <laughs> But so that that made me like you used big words and stuff. Big words, yeah. Like on Dawson's Creek when they used all the big words, no one knew. Yeah, what was those? Did you ever watch Dawson's Creek? Oh, (laughs) I did a lot. Not only uh, am I pretty young, um, I lived in Germany until I was eight, (gasps) Um, and so I missed out on a lot of that like um, sort Mm -hmm. of cultural Mm -hmm. stuff uh, until we moved. Were okay. you in um, Hamburg? No, I was born in Nuremberg, and then we lived. Um, actually, we we didn't live. My parents are civilians that worked for the military. They were oh, both okay. teachers that worked for Dodds, the Department of Defense schools. So, like, um, people in the military who bring their families with them overseas and they live on base, their kids will go to basically American schools. Um, and so, my parents worked for were both elementary school teachers. When when was what year was that? Mm, well, I was born in ninety two, so my parents were both there in the eighties and nineties. Dude, they might have taught the <laughs> a lady that's now a producer on the other show that we do, Dude Absolutely. She went to school on base. Okay, that's crazy. Yeah, if she ever went. Um, in Grafenvir or Vilsec, because Vilsec's the high school that my sister went to. I think it was um, Vilsec. Probably. Wow. Uh, she might have gone to high school with my sister, depending on how old she is. How old she is. <laughs> that <laughs> it's, is it's, crazy. It's, at, at any, basically, any time someone is like, oh, yeah, my parents were stationed over in Germany in the 90s, they probably cross paths at some point it was n- pretty small world that's nice. what is it the something degrees of kevin bacon <laughs> Se- seven degrees of oh yeah yeah kevin bacon that's kind of what it is then huh yeah i guess okay is your dad kevin bacon no oh dang it <laughs> um okay so fancy words oregon fancy words oregon but that was to leap into <laughs> um were you always like searching for descriptors growing up? Um, Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I, I think I've always had the impulse to express how I personally see the world, um, not from like a necessarily like opinion or um, like a personal lived experience way but in just the like I feel the impulse to um recreate the world around me from Uh. my perspective um or how I how I visualize things um and so I've I've done that with words I've done that with photography there's a couple different ways that I've done that but um I think it was just I'm I was always an incredibly avid reader um and in theater and all these sorts of my fam- whole family is like a performing arts family. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so my mom definitely read me books that were too old to me and I th- for me. And I think that um, it just sort of uh, 
gave me this just broader vocabulary that I worked with on a regular basis. Um, and I don't think my parents ever really condescended to me and spoke to me in a way that was like um, childish either. Yeah. So like okay. I, um, one of the things that I, especially I think because I started speaking German and English at the same time. So I had basically um, two first languages. And so I think my brain really early on was like context, <laughs> like yeah. context, 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 oh, yeah. context. So like I just picked up on vocabulary really quickly. Um, and so I think it's one of those things where my brain just likes to find those words that, uh-huh. um, yeah. I mean, and Rivers is an interesting example because I think that book more than others that I've written um, has the the word choices stand out because I was trying to recreate a medium I had only seen visually. Okay. So like psychological horror, um, I mean like film is where that really thrives. Um, and I have read some like uh, Shirley Jackson comes to mind. She did The Lottery is the one that everybody has to read. Okay. The short story about um, there's like a small rural town where every year a name gets drawn and they basically stone that person to death. Did they have oh. a movie about that? Yes. There I is watched a, movie. Yeah, there is a movie. Yeah. And a lot of people have to watch that in like ninth grade, I think, is when I did. We read it and then we watched the film. Um, but uh, I think that what I was trying to do was create that mood that normally music and sound effects and, you know, cinematography would do. Yeah. And I had to do it with words. <laughs> and so that was that was a big challenge. I'd never had to write that way before. That makes so much sense because like I, like I said at the beginning, it made it makes me nervous. <laughs> the the way that you describe things and the the first thing that like gave me an inkling as to where where it's going to go um is after the baptism behind the church. I was like, oh, this is just like, there's, um, yeah, that thriller vibe to it, which is like done not as well as you're doing it in, in movies where like there's a, I try not to give stuff away, but like <clears throat> there's um, a promiscuous individual and that person is showcased and then they die horrifically and like the movie is trying to figure out why and there's all these dark secrets behind it Mm -hmm. and but it's always like in movies it's always done in a way where it's like how can we show some boobies real quick (laughs) and then scare the shit out of everybody (laughs) it's just never you know what i'm saying kim duke there's always boobs there's always and i when i ever since i was young the theater show them boobs that's what they do show them tatas anyways (laughs) That, that's something that always turned me off about film is like tatas and blood. I'm not, I don't like those things together. I'm not a fan, but God damn it. The, just the, and the, there's a word that you use. Um, I see the, there's, oh, that was the other thing I was going to say. The way that you, the words that you used, I was doing a British accent while I was reading it. <laughs> And then it it's not Mm-mm. a UK story, right? No. It's set in the Dakota Territory. Okay, yeah. And so as soon as... Because it's when the sheriff comes in, I was like, oh, that 
It's not a British guy. <laughs> you read in a British accent? It's yeah, probably yeah. just, it's probably, uh, I get that a lot. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the book that I, um, this is not really any sort of thing, but the book that I get the most attention for in the sense that it's like my biggest project, um, the one that I talked about when I called in very briefly yeah, is yeah. set in Dark Ages England. And so like that's where I've spent a lot of my time creatively. Um, but I think that there's just something in the um, in early American accents that sort of replicates that because sure. um, uh, the formality of speaking the word choices, the the word, the sentence structure mm. mimics that. Um, so I'm not really surprised by that at all. And okay. I think that one of the reasons that um, Isaiah the Marshal yeah, is so yeah, different is because he's he's the probably the only character in the whole thing that's sort of just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like he's like he's very casual, and he's not from the Midwest, so okay. he has his. Um, his speech pattern is just slightly different. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's from the Midwest, but his father wasn't, so he's got a little bit different. Um, and that's all backstory that you don't really <laughs> find out <laughs> in the book, but it affected how I wrote the character. Awesome. Okay, sorry. I had to go off on that before I forgot about it. <laughs> now, back to the history part of it, because Kim has pointed out that I'm all over the place. So let's... Um, it's okay, and I have ADD. A, I so. do. T- I, I do too. So this is just gonna. This is just gonna be how this goes. Okay. I've, got, I've gotten better at getting used to it. I just, I just go with the flow now. Um. So at at what point did like were were you writing short stories growing up? Like before it was uh like homework. Yeah. Um. I. This is actually. This was my first foray into short form. Mm. Um, I started writing novels at like age like nine. Whoa! <laughs> uh, and it was very thinly veiled Lord of the Rings fan fiction, basically. Okay. Um, so it was basically Lord of the Rings with all my own characters and a different world and slightly different plot. Um, but you know, for a nine-year-old, that's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I again, like my parents, uh had a huge influence on this because my mom read me Lord of the Rings um, the year before the movies came, first movie came out. Okay. So like 2000. Uh, And she read all of them to me. And then um, I saw the first movie and I was like, (laughs) I can do this. I need to do this. I need to make my own stories and all that sort of stuff. Um, And so basically from that point forward, um, I was just writing books. And I had never tried to write anything that was short before. It had always been novels. Like I wanted to, I was really upset with myself when I didn't beat Christopher Paolini, who wrote Aragon, <laughs> to like the like youngest fantasy author like podium. Oh. But now I'm really glad. Now I'm really glad I didn't beat him because I don't. <laughs> I'm so glad like nothing is accessible that I wrote before like the age of like 24. Do you but, think that one day you'll let those things out into the world? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, none of them ever finished. Um, oh, okay. They were like, uh, they're all, 
it's funny because a lot of the stuff that I wrote then has wormed its way back in tiny pieces mm-hmm. into other stories. Like characters and all that? Yeah. Uh, so the, the again, going back to my other um, Arthur story, um, the main character of that story, I'd always had her. Even in elementary school, I had this character um, who just didn't have, I couldn't find the story that she was supposed to be in. And then, you know, basically like 15 years later, just sort of like stumbled into it. Okay. Um, so, and I, like there's a specific line in that story that I remember writing in that like first like Lord of the Rings fan fiction oh, book wow. that like stuck with me through the whole thing. Um, so there's like little pieces like that that will make its way through. Um, but there's, yeah, there's nothing that I can like wholesale take from that point <laughs> of my life writing wise. Um, it's all pretty uh, beginner. Um, God, what was that? That short series, was it the Coen Brothers released on Netflix? The you know Ballad of Buster about? Scruggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> have you thought about maybe going that route? So and I then have, you could take those and wah, 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 wah. Yeah, I have my own podcast. What? <laughs> yeah, it's a fiction podcast, though. It's called Tales from the Ridge, and <gasps> it's um, a space western, like, vignette stories like that. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. I only have two episodes. My husband narrates it because he's got a very Johnny Cash sort of style oh. voice. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I do. I, I really, after writing this one, and then I had another project that I had to write a short story for, which actually became the first episode of that. Um, but I was like, man, short form is, form is really fun. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get to just, like, tell the story and get you invested enough in the characters, and then I can just be done. I don't have to, like, fiddle around with all of this, like, you know, yeah, foreshadowing yeah. and long, like, payoffs and stuff like that. I like both, but I think I have um, a lot more um, fun <laughs> yeah. writing the short form stuff. Um, I get less in my head about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it, deadlines are so stressful in any medium. So when you have, I, I mean, I would imagine in those short form, you feel like the finish line is so much closer yeah. and you can yeah. get there and be proud of it at the same time. Yeah. And I think as someone with attention deficit, uh, ah. seeing, being able to see <laughs> the finish line yeah. as something like physical and like knowing like, oh yeah, I just have to get from here to here instead of like here to here to here to yeah, here yeah, yeah. <laughs> is a lot easier for my brain to like uh, get to that like reward center right away um, than having to wait for it. Wow. Okay. So you are, are writing through school, mm-hmm. doing all of these novels. Mm-hmm. Um, did you go... Like, did you pick your school based on writing? No. Uh-huh. Um, I had really lofty dreams of um, being either an opera singer or like in theater or film uh, and then chickened out <laughs> after my senior year and um, went to Moorhead, MSUM, okay. for theater. Uh, and... Um, Basically, like orientation day, I still hadn't like officially made my major choice, yeah. and I just was like, "I'm just gonna walk into all the theater stuff. I'm just gonna do that. I don't, I don't know. I'm just gonna do that." Um, so I was a theater major for two years, and then I decided that I was gonna audition for Manhattan School of Music um, to do 
um, opera. And then so I was a music major for that like semester <laughs> um, and then made it to the live auditions in Manhattan and then didn't make it past that. But like got through the audition and was like, oh, no, I, I didn't actually want to do this. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, and then I took a year off. I was like, OK, if I can't move to New York to go to music school, I'm just going to move to Minneapolis. So okay. I just moved to Minneapolis um, lived with my best friend, my boyfriend at the time, and another friend, um, and didn't have a job, didn't know what I was doing, uh, and then took that year off, and then went to the U, um, still didn't have a major, <laughs> uh, and then I that spring, so my second semester at the U, I took a class called The Story of King Arthur with Professor Rebecca Krug, who is... Mm fabulous she's the most amazing professor i've ever had like she's won awards for just she um for a class that was for non-majors because it was just one of those like fun english classes that yeah. people could take to fill their like an elective yeah. yeah yeah yeah. not something you hear often fun english classes yeah, yeah yeah no but it was uh because um she just makes it fun um and you would see people that like you would not expect to enjoy an english class be like really invested in it um and I got so obsessed with the stuff in that class that like I at the end of the semester, I was like, OK, I think you convinced me to be an English major. And the first words out of her mouth were, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was kind of after that point that I just bit the bullet and just did English. I had um, pushed back on it for a long time because I felt like if I went to school for it, I was going to end up hating it. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um and I think had I done like creative writing or something like that, I probably would have. Um, but since I just did English and got to sort of like craft my major the way I wanted to. So like I studied a lot of old and middle English um, texts and stuff like that, like a lot of just really super nerdy, hyper specific <laughs> stuff. Um, I avoided that. And I think that that actually informed my writing better than if I had done creative writing. Oh, wow. Um, I can't remember. There was like a film director who basically was like, to be a good film director, you need to just like live, basically. Oh, yeah. And it's the same thing for writing. I think that um, your experiences and your knowledge and the things you consume and all of that are better for informing your writing than just trying to learn how to write. Um, as long as you write, you are doing the best that you can as far as teaching yourself how to write, just like constantly. Yeah. And I think that honestly, actually theater informed my writing a lot. Yeah. Um, I've had a couple people who read my writing um, and they're like, oh, you can tell you were a theater major. As long as they were theater people, like theater people read it and they'll be like, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I can tell by the way you like move your characters around and stuff like that, like that you think about blocking oh. <laughs> while you're writing and like that kind of stuff. Yeah. See, um, something about you made me think either theater kid or Mormon. (laughs) (laughs) What? Those things cross over more than you would imagine. They sure do. Yeah. (laughs) Why? I guess trying. Well, ex-Mormon, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the tattoos give it away, if nothing else. Chris is an ex-Mormon. I uh, am a um, pastor's kid, sort of. Okay. Um, my dad, uh, 
sort of had a midlife crisis after we moved to the States because he couldn't get a job as a teacher because he had too much experience. Mm. Oh, wow. um, and uh, when I was about 16, he became officially ordained. Um, mm. But so I am, I kind of, so am I talking about that side of my life is really weird because um, I was definitely not, like I have friends who are actually raised in like religious cults. <laughs> So, like, to say I was, like, you know, raised in, like, a strict household doesn't feel correct because I wasn't because I was allowed to explore and ask questions and stuff like that. But at the same time, um, I was so eager to please all the time that I sort of self-enforced this sort of... um, religious stringency. Yeah, it's it's that (laughs) thing where you know that... And and I can tell, like, uh, you learn... In, in that type of environment that if I ask a question that makes it seem like I want to be invested in this thing, that it's going to bring them joy. It's like the best example I can think of that like I did when I was 14, 15 I was at Delhi in New York and there was a septic tank that was blocking a bunch of parking spots. I went in, saw the guy, he was wearing a, a jumper that matched the <laughs> septic tank truck and uh, I went up to him and I was like, hey, is that, is that your truck outside? He was like, yeah. <laughs> Obviously thinking that I was going to say something, some poop joke. And I was like, how do you know when your septic tank is at like a danger level? Because my parents. <laughs> and so like you you learn like ways to ask questions where somebody goes, that's that, that oddly specific question to be. <laughs> So, I mean, did you find yourself doing that at all growing up? Yeah. Yeah. And I think both my parents being teachers, definitely, and both being artsy people, the the paradox of my (laughs) childhood is super strange. Um, And I think that some of that leaks into this, into Rivers as well, of the, um, uh, the pressure that religion puts on you Mm. um and i shouldn't say religion because i should say christianity specifically um uh and i that's kind of what that's really what creates that horror in the story um and so i think that uh like seeing being i was so i was not put under a rock so i could see how other people lived and how other people experienced life and whatever and i could see the other side that um where people swung you know wholly to sort of the like evangelical um side as well and here my family is sort of like exhibiting itself in this weird uh nebulous middle ground yeah um and i think that i just learned to um adapt to both and i wasn't quite sure for a long time which one i really belonged to okay um and so, yeah, I think being able to, um, I was always kind of a mediator. Oh, uh, interesting. So uh, it was. Re- it's always been really easy for me to see where people are coming from. Um, and so I think that's its own form of question taking, question asking questions as well. They're just internal questions, like you're asking questions of the people around you, but you're not actually asking them out loud. Yeah, you're sort of like internally um, monitoring everything at all times. That's interesting. Hmm. When you say mediator, though, um, 
Wait, you said mediator, yeah. not monitor, right? Mediator. Yeah. Were you a monitor maid? Me- meter maid. That's what I was looking <laughs> for. My no. brain went in five different places at once. <clears throat> Do you have brothers and sisters? I have one older sister. One older sister. sister. Okay. So, and obviously legally obese if this is not. <laughs> like, were there points of contention where you felt obligated to insert yourself because you were able to to exhibit those traits? Yeah. Okay. So my sister is my half sister and there is a lot of trauma around my mom's first marriage. Mm. Um and it uh has affected them both deeply in their relationship to this day. Um and as a kid, I um was constantly trying to um put myself between them in a way to like uh fix the situation yeah yeah um which is like i've only done some therapy as an adult but that's probably like my number one issue is like a savior complex Ah. sort of of like trying to make sure that everyone is happy at all times so that um it doesn't escalate into situations where people are um upset um and which was not my job, especially right. as like a child. Child, yeah. Um, and I think that also uh, having attention deficit as a young girl, the the difference in how that manifests um, also contributed to that. So I was holding myself to this standard of um, having to be the golden child. I was also the mediator um, between these two women who I loved a lot. And then um, I also was holding myself to this ridiculous standard of um, fighting my own brain, which I didn't realize I was doing. Yeah. Um, And because, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, as you know, like hyperfixations and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. um, reading and writing and that sort of stuff was one of those places where I just excelled. Um, And so I did really well in school, again, because of the sort of like, um, the ability for my brain to contextualize things really well. Mm. Um, and so that was uh, another uh, area where um, I was just constantly uh, monitoring again, mm. like the yeah, yeah observing. And I think that's one of the things that weirdly makes me a, a pretty good writer uh, is just I've always, always been that aware of what's happening around me. That's interesting. Uh, the... The hyper focus stuff, yeah, and the the because yeah, how do I put this? Things that bring you joy, and then learning that there's a career path in that thing that brings you joy creates this really motivating like feeling and and um, almost like a driving force to like um, okay obviously this is what I'm supposed to be doing because I feel so strongly about Mm -hmm. this thing. Um, But then that disappointment of when you get to that point and then you're like, that's not actually where I want to put the work in. It turns out I just enjoy this thing. Yeah. That was theater for me. Yeah. I saw other people, how hard other people were working to make it work. And I was like, I don't have that in me for this. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can't, when like I can't call I can't go to rehearsal when I'm can barely get out of bed sick you know like I can't uh 
make those kind of sacrifices for this art. Like I will kill it in community theater, but there's no way that I am going to be yeah. able to do this as a career. Especially when you see other people around you who are like, we'll do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And you're like, I like it a lot. Yeah. But not that much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, Going back to what you were talking about, the reason that writing stuck out through all of this was writing was the one thing I went to of my own accord. Hmm. So, like, I started piano and violin lessons when I was four. Oh, wow. I was doing ballet when I was four. And, you know, my whole family did theater, so I was in theater. And all of these things I enjoyed doing, but they hadn't been instigated by me. Mm -hmm. And so writing was the one thing, pretty much, that... I was good at and I started doing because I wanted to do it and because I like doing it. Um, and I think that's really why it's been what has I've centered my life around. Um, yeah. Well, um, I forget who said this, but um, there's there's things in life that really you, you just want to be backstage for because like being on the opposite end of it, just I, I it's it, comedy is like the best example i can think of for that like when when you're in the green room and you know how to do what all of these guys are doing even though you're not going on stage there's this feeling of like i could do it i could go and do that thing but this is so awesome for these other artistic endeavors like there's so much shit that you have to do to be able to get there mm -hmm. that like by the time you get to really where you wanted to be was just backstage yeah. It's lost its uh, allure, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. <sighs> awesome. What? I have nothing. Oh, I'm not a creative person at all. So <laughs> I just. But you have been able to be backstage a few times. Yeah. <laughs> Kim Duke, uh, which Nicholas Sparks book is your favorite? <laughs> Such an asshole. <laughs> you know what? Layla, my daughter, she said this. I love like teen comedies or teen teen romance. Like mm -hmm. I just rewatch all the stupid Twilights. I don't know what it is. <laughs> and my uh, daughter had a birthday party with her little friends, and I heard her. They're talking about the kissing booth because it comes up on Netflix. It oh, was yeah. when it came, so, the second yeah. one came out, and I had already read the book. And I'm like, oh, and she, Layla's like, my mom already watched the kissing booth. So Be that came from Wattpad, which is where my yeah. story is. Okay. Yeah. And so did the after series. I read all those yep. in that. No. Yeah. Books are way better. The movies are. <laughs> anyway, sh uh, she goes, my mom likes watching movies where people like each other because my dad <laughs> goes in his office and ignores my mom. So. Well, my door is always open. I didn't really read Nicholas Sparks, though. You would read the book. I read A Walk to Remember a lot. But you would always read a book before the movie came out. It's true. I, I really I like, tend to do that as yeah, well. Yeah. Because then I'm like, but then I don't like doing it because then I don't like the movie. I'm like, well. But I'm, then I get it. Like, I get why. There's just things I'm you so can't put. I'm so obsessed with film, too, that, like, I view them so yes. separately. That, yes. like, I my rule is always... It's okay to leave stuff out of a book. It's okay to change stuff if it makes sense for the medium. Yes. And you're not changing the intention of like the characters that have already been established or the plot that's already been established. That's what I have a hard time with the after movies versus the books is that they change so many of the characters where it's just like my mind, it doesn't 
like it's like okay well, yeah yeah that's like it's like the 50 shades of gray for teenagers is the after series <laughs> oh my god i know which is based like the lady she based the books off of harry styles like the main character is supposed to be based off of harry styles like his look oh he's all tatted up and the bad boy he's a bad boy heart he, he is oh i didn't know that not Harry Styles. I don't know about Harry Styles. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I was okay, saying. Okay, so that must be where people, a lot of people start their books. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I only came in, I've only been on there for about over a year. So, like, okay. the success that I've had on there so quickly is pretty um, bizarre, especially because a lot of it is that type of book, and I yeah. don't write that type of yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're so... Wattpad started as sort of like a aggregate site for um, fiction that you can get for free, like classics and stuff like that, and fan fiction. Ah. Um, and so that's a lot of it still is that sort of um, platform. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there are a lot of young writers on there who just put their stuff up, you know, as mm -hmm. they're writing it, like the stuff that I'm glad that has never seen the light of day. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it's an interesting dynamic because I personally am really glad that despite the fact that I had access to the internet for most of my like middle school to high school, you know, the internet was already established as okay. this like thing that, you know, um, I'm glad that I didn't really stumble into a writing community like that when I was that young, because I think that it would have, um, not created good writing habits for me. Yeah. Um, because I think what ends up happening is that you get really, attached to the validation the instant validation and um when you don't get it you're discouraged from it mm. and i think to be a really successful writer um you need to have the impulse to write whether or not anybody's going to read it um and uh that can get really tainted if you are starting out because of the validation yeah Does that yeah. makes sense yep. no oh, absolutely that's social media i mean yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, kids who are that age right now and who are growing up in this sort of, um, golden age of exposure, uh, to see what kind of, how that changes and how, um, this new era of writers grows up and what their, what their writing is like by the time they get to my age. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when 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 you would call or when Mackenzie had called you um I had joked that you were a bionicle woman <laughs> and because the 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 medieval story that you did wh what was it called again the hawthorne throne the hawthorne throne and you called it um an extremely gay adventure or yeah, yeah it's basically just like a super gay <laughs> fantasy adventure <laughs> <laughs> so W like what about that is it that when you travel back because actually you don't have to travel back that far obviously there's um a lot of fun when when you travel hundreds of years back but um that that taboo aspect of things do you find yourself trying to imagine like I can't imagine holding a secret back like that in those times where it could have literally been life or death. So I think that um, actually the peril 
in um in this novella in rivers for the for margaret and emma for the two women who are in love with each other is a lot higher than the peril of my characters in the arthurian story and i think that that's even correct from like a historical standpoint Mm -hmm. um because we have a tendency as um modern readers to project um onto the dark ages and the medieval era this like homophobia yeah that we we anticipate was there um when really um it was again probably a lot safer for my characters in that book than for this frontier america yeah story um because uh really um like you look even at like guild era germany um there's like codified into law like that like basically you could have people who were um homosexual who were accepted by the community and you could have your um person that was like your paramour basically Mm. um as long as you were married and had kids like as long as you like kept the community like alive by having children and having a sort of official marriage you wouldn't get in trouble for being gay like that wasn't the that wasn't the issue um and uh you, you look at a lot of um uh medieval texts and stuff like that and i think that because some so much of it's changing now because people are starting to look at these texts with different lenses um like through queer lenses and through feminist lenses and all that sort of stuff um whereas before you know the people who were doing the research on these were like old straight men mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like they uh they projected their mores onto these texts. Um, so like you'll see that too with like translations of Beowulf and stuff like that, where it's done by like um, a woman or somebody um, from like a, a non Western culture mm. and it completely changes uh, the connotation of some of the translations and stuff like that. Because when you're not projecting your personal lived experiences and beliefs onto the text, in a way, it changes how you um, uh, interact with it. Um, and so I think that's that's um, a lot of how we view that era comes from misconceptions mm. of um, uh, that we think it was this sort of extremely hierarchical um, misogynist landscape when right. really it wasn't. That's really interesting. And I think that uh, let me. My brain is like jumping all over the place right now, so I know, I'm like trying I, to. I, I keep I'm thinking, to like focus. I'm gonna th- blurt out <laughs> this thing before I forget. There's this town because when you were talking about that, it reminded me of um, like transgender roots actually go back hundreds of years. There's this village that they found. Um, God, I wish I could remember who did the article, but um, there were these women that took over. Um, these ranches and farms and they dressed as men mm-hmm. and basically became celibate and oh I think do you I know, know what, what I'm talking about? about yep yeah it's in is it in Romania it's some it's, yeah it's like it's Eastern Europe yes. I think it's in yep. Eastern European culture but yeah and nobody like they're the most respected people in those towns and so when you said that, that's the first thing that popped in my my head is like, yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think because so much of our um, collective knowledge of 
medieval and Hawthorne is actually it's 589 AD so it's it's pre-medieval okay um like it's about 170 years after the Romans withdrew from Britain is what my story said so it's like you know I I say dark ages because that's what most people like that's where their head goes yeah um so much of our knowledge collectively like pop culture knowledge of that is determined by a medieval fantasy and um film and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um that it's uh again it's it's tainted the actual sort of like cultural um roots of that um and i try to explore that a little bit too in the sense that like we've gotten so afraid especially keeping the like gay in it (laughs) of um um, um, platonic affection between men mm. um, and that was actually like men would hold hands men would kiss all that sort of stuff in western culture probably up until like even through the Victorian era like it was probably like right after that where that really? started yeah, yeah like you see pictures of um, like groups of uh, younger men, you know, like in their like cricket clubs and stuff like that, and they're like holding hands and they're like really affectionate with each other, or they'll be like sitting on each other, like in ways that like you would not see American men doing now. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, That's my and, gay best friend right there. Yeah, I. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's one of the things I've been really careful of in writing that because it's a duology in that is showing that that like so much more physical and verbal affection Mm. um that wasn't inherently sexual um is just as just as real as the actual like because i also have obviously um queer relationships Mm -hmm. in the story as well um yeah that that's one thing that I think that we project onto the past. I mean, I had one reader that was adamant that uh, medieval people didn't practice medicine. So, like, there's, a, yeah, that like uh, that like any sort of medicine was considered like witchcraft, which is apparently a pretty common misconception based on again like medieval fantasy books and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, but again, like witchcraft hysteria didn't really take root in Europe until like, I think it's like the 16 or 1700s. Yeah, I was going to say it was actually <laughs> not that long ago. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I was like, no, no, no. We have like medieval texts of like monks practicing medicine and stuff like that. Like people people practiced herbology and didn't necessarily think it was just magic. Like, <laughs> um, So there's a lot of people come to stories um, of that setting with a lot of different preconceived notions. It's the, there's a phrase for it called, um, I think it's called the Tiffany problem where Tiffany was actually a really common medieval name. Um, but if you put Tiffany in a medieval book, people or readers are going to be like, what? Like Tiffany. (laughs) Um, and so that's kind of, uh, you know, like people want to believe that what they, you know, saw in, you know, so do you have to put like a, an extra spin on Tiffany, like St. Tiffany? <laughs> St. Tiffany, <in laughs> Romania. Yeah. Um, you know, or uh, I have a couple like Elaine's and stuff like that where, but those are more references to other Arthur stories, but. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> I just love geeking out about this stuff. <laughs> and I don't often get to sit and just 
vomit about it. So like this I just, is that's why I was so excited. <laughs> so fun. And then yeah, it got compounded by the just the freaking verbiage that you use in this story. Which is called Riverdale. I'm glad you're nervous reading it, though. Like, that's, I kind of just want everybody to be nervous, like, the whole time. Did you see, what was it called? Um, It was uh, a movie about Jack the Ripper, and Johnny Depp plays a detective who gets blitzed on opium and then solves (laughs) crimes. You know what I'm talking about, Kim? (laughs) So. Did we watch it together? Yeah, yeah. Remember, because we went on a Johnny Depp binge. <laughs> we did go on a Johnny Depp binge. I th- I th- it the best I, it might it might be just called the Ripper. Um, oh, no, I gotta look. It or up. Jack. Where's Ma- Where's Mara when we need her? Yeah, no shit, Mara. <laughs> um, but th- the 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 horror like from hell. Oh yeah, from hell. Okay, now go. that sounds right. Two thousand one. Yeah, it is Dang. fucking horrifying. <laughs> But the in 1888 London prostitutes living in London's poor and decrepit, I can I don't decrepit? know yeah mm-hmm. East End are being butchered by a killer who has come to known as Jack the Ripper. So, so, I, no, I got to click on the rest of it. Oh, it's really I'm not gonna I read ate all some that. Really tasty Thai food once in that area of London. I thought you were gonna say you just you ate some edibles before coming <laughs> on the pod. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're kicking in. Oh my god. <laughs> Has drug-induced visions from smoking opium. Why do you have such good memory? Oh, no, I don't remember watching that at all. <laughs> I was thinking Johnny Depp. Uh, but in in there, the terrifying thing is the perception of like class and civility is just those are the most horrifying people. Yeah. Like the the bigger the facade like the 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 more terrifying the catacombs of fucking horrific mm-hmm. stuff that they've done so like it's the vibe that i'm getting in the beginning of this book is like oh no it's they know how to speak well <laughs> and they have righteousness on their side they're all evil <laughs> yeah is what i thought of cuz um, like in in that adaptation of like that version of jack the ripper is like the main character or the the villain is this guy who like is incredibly well-spoken articulate sure like most serial killers (laughs) (laughs) and like thinks that he is doing like work on behalf of the society because these prostitutes are are yeah they're making us look terrible (laughs) my god so that's the vibes I'm getting. I don't know if I'm. Yeah. No. I mean the the um antagonist of the story, if you want to put it that way, is a lot more um conceptual than an actual person. Okay. Um, it ends up being um <laughs> the most common thing I've had from readers is literally they'll be <laughs> they'll be like. Oh no, is Margaret a demon? Oh no, is Emma a demon? Oh no, is Joseph a demon? <laughs> like everyone is just like trying to figure out who is the person that's possessed and you, you don't, I don't, you, it's not a <sighs> anything like that. So like, it's just, that's kind of the vibe of the whole thing is you, you don't actually know yeah, what the, where the evil is at any point um, or if it exists at all. 
<laughs> or are we all evil? Let us join hands in this goat's blood. <laughs> We're all possessed. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but it's time for our fa- favorite segment, Kim Duke. Do you know what that is? Okay. So <laughs> go ahead and put those other two to the side and then crack that thing open. I, I think they're individually wrapped. Yeah, it looks are. like it. We, I think, yeah, for COVID, we're going to have to keep getting things individually wrapped. I don't know if I'm going to be Is able to. Is there a tear spot? There we go. Okay. Oh, man. Boom. It's such a weird... Don't eat it yet. Yeah. <laughs> the calorie count is so weird. It's 144. I've never seen like a... It's usually... What? Per four pieces. Oh, okay. All right, so I'm going to grab one. Dumel? Dumel? Dumel. Dumle. Dumle. <laughs> Taste I think one. this is from uh, Ikea. Oh, you know what? You have a Dumel, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so crack it open, have a sniff. Smells good. It smells like chocolate. Ooh. Yeah, uh, digging the smell so far. Oh, you went right for it. I okay. Know. Hmm. The lime is barely there. Yeah, I was going to say. It's just an enjoyable chocolate. It kind of tastes like if you were to get like some really ridiculous chocolate martini or something like that. Okay. That's what it's bringing to mind. I gotcha. It's like if you get a piece of chewy chocolate and then drink 7-Up with it. (laughs) Yeah. That wasn't as weird as I was wanting it to be. Weirdest candy I've ever had was fermented plum from Japan because my best friend lived in Japan for a couple of years and she sent it to me with no context. And so Just I was like, oh, this. what's this? And it was so weird. <laughs> like the experience was so beyond anything I'd ever had before that I made my husband eat one too because I was like, you have to share this with me. You have to share this experience yeah. because I cannot describe it. <laughs> and so I just need you to know <laughs> what I just ate. <laughs> and so I me- I messaged her and I was like, what was this? And she was like, oh, yeah, they're like salted fermented plums. They're super popular with old Japanese men. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So if you want a really oh. wild ride at some point, just get some of those. That's really funny. That is. Really I can't funny. I can't even describe it. I like the idea of her think- thinking of old Japanese men and being like, <laughs> you know, who would love this? <laughs> She couched it in other candy. Like, I love uh, weird Kit Kat flavors. So, like, when she was over there, she would just send me weird Kit Kat flavors all the time. And so, like, it was hidden in that and some, like, candy that's like, oh, this is, like, the little rock candy she eats and spirited away and, like, that kind of stuff. And so you're like, like, what's this? Weird. Existential crisis. I love it. Yeah. I tried ordering <clears throat> um, Korean, an assortment of Korean candies and treats from Amazon. And when I got it, uh, the box, the bag had a label on it that said Japanese candies. I was like, it's not what I wanted. <laughs> but we did have a quite large array of odd things. Very odd. Yeah. The worst thing was that it was like, um, it was like, it was like jerky, but seaweed. Mm. Like, don't even talk about it. It makes me throw <laughs> It's up. really horrible. It was so bad. We yep. had we had bar well that not from that same package but we tried barbecue crickets 
I've had crickets before. Which it wasn't bad. It was just crunchy. Yeah. Our daughter even tried it. I was very surprised she tried it. The the jerky thing was so bad that the one of the guests was like almost didn't believe how bad it was. So he <laughs> took another bite. It's like I don't know if well, ugh, I can't even ugh. It was so gross. Like I I would imagine it's like if you um like fried fish. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you fry up some fish. I love fried fish. And the grease that collects in the little fry basket, if you were to peel that off and then eat that, yeah, it's the only okay. Knock it off. Sorry. Oh my gosh, it's really ugh. It was so bad. And then we had one other thing that was so so bad. I couldn't even eat it. The dried broccoli florets. You literally couldn't eat it because they were so sure. difficult to eat. Yeah, they oh. were so dry. Yeah, I've had dried cauliflower and it wasn't that bad, but those broccoli, they were pretty bad. I don't think I've ever had dried vegetables. Dried fruit for sure. Yeah. Dried vegetables. Maybe carrots. Not, not so great. Like, well, they make like chips. Oh, yeah. yeah. Out of carrots and beets yeah. and stuff. It's about that, but that's cheating a little bit. It is cheating. <laughs> Shame on you for cheating. No. I'm not, I'm not in. If I'm going to eat vegetables, I'm just going to eat vegetables. Yeah. If I'm going to eat chips, I'm going to eat chips. Yeah. I don't like, I don't want to mix the them two. together. No. Yeah. Something that we glossed over. That I've been meaning to ask, but I don't know how to ask. Maybe legally obese, maybe not. Is it the bionicle woman? It is the bionicle <laughs> no, woman I'm, thing. It's, it's not legally obese. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Legally obese was the safe word. If I didn't want to talk about something. Oh, oh. I was so confused earlier when you said <laughs> that. I was like, why are you calling yourself legally obese again? Well, I mean, I am. He's but not. I have a label. It's thick with two C's. Okay. <clears throat> so, growing up, did you, like, were you able to discern attractiveness towards, um, like, boy, girl, or was it all the same? Um. So, I, for a long time, I just was like, I just assumed I was straight because I was super into boys in general. So I was like, you know, clearly I'm not gay. So I'm all about this. Uh, and I think that um, uh, like a lot of bisexual people, my attraction to um, women felt different. And so I didn't really know how to categorize it. And I didn't categorize it as attraction. Um, so... Uh, it really wasn't, and I didn't have any um, sort of reference point for bisexuality, really. Um, like, I didn't know any bisexual people. I mean, I probably did. I didn't know any out <laughs> bisexual people. And there aren't that many in um, still, even in popular culture. Right. Um, and so it really wasn't until college when I was obsessed with House and 13 was on there. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is a thing. You can be attracted to men and women. Whoa. Uh, and um, then was still a couple of years before like, I really um, sort of just sort of accepted that like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm bi. And I was like, when I moved to Minneapolis, I kind of just like 
because I didn't really know anyone who lived here and I didn't have a job and I didn't have any reason to be here other than I just was done living in not a city okay. uh, that I was like, I'm just going to live this now. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't really have like a coming out moment or anything like that. It was kind of just like people who I basically just formed a new life and just uh, tried it on and found that the shoe fit. And so, okay. um, I mean, bisexual people in general just have constant imposter syndrome. Oh, interesting. So like, um, <laughs> it'll be like, uh, uh, people will be like, oh, man, you know, I've dated women, but I still don't know if I'm, if I'm really, if I'm gay, you know, if I'm bi, and I'm like, y you are, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, like, Straight people want you to be straight, and gay people want you to be completely gay. So, like, you are constantly getting messages from both sides. And because I so firmly don't give a shit yeah. <laughs> what uh, anybody else thinks of my experience or my identity, um, I just fell into bisexuality really easily. Um, and I should also clarify that, like, bisexual is same and other. Like, old school definition of bi. Oh, okay. Like, what a lot of people call pan is probably yeah, closer to uh, my that's experience. that's what I was thinking. Uh, but because I respect the history of bisexual people in the movement and the understanding that um, for most bisexual people, gender actually isn't the definite, right. it doesn't yeah. define it. Um, it's just how that is most easily, can most easily explained to generally non-queer people. Um, and it had such a strong, again, history in the queer movement and... Um, I just like really liked the bi community, so that's how I why I decided to label myself that way. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, there's this comedian that that I have recently started listening to a bunch of his stuff. He's a wild guy, but he <clears throat> he has this saying uh, where we, when he describes his sexuality, he said, "I I fall in love with men, but I have sex with women." <laughs> that's such a awesome way of saying that. that's kind of how it felt for a while too for me where i was like oh yeah i i'm definitely sexually attracted to women but i don't know if i could be in a romantic relationship with one um but that's not true uh <laughs> and uh i think again that that is something that um each individual person experiences differently in bisexuality because um some people definitely sway one way more than the other i'm pretty like firmly in the middle um and uh again like <laughs> the way i saw someone describe it one time is like when i see someone who's a guy that i'm attracted to it's like ooh, and when i see a girl i'm attracted to it's like ah. and like that's the best sort of like uh abstract way i can describe it is it's like it's a completely different yeah. completely different sensation, completely different sort of like headspace, emotional space. Um, and I think honestly, the way I experienced it when I was younger had way more to do with um, uh, being, I'm sort of, <laughs> I kind of call myself loosely non-binary. Um, oh, like okay. I'm, I recently sort of fell onto the label demi woman. So demi gender is sort of where like, you um... oh my god <laughs> is that what... <laughs> yes <laughs> um you for me it's i i am so clearly femme 
that I exist in the world as a woman, right? Like other people perceive me as a woman and my lived experiences as a woman. And I feel connected to womanhood through being a mother and through a myriad of other experiences. But really on a personal level, I feel more non-binary, but I never swing completely I've like the reason why gender fluid didn't make sense for me is because like I never swing so far that I'm like, oh, I feel like a man today. Like, sure. So I'm it's like I'm like woman light. Um, okay. And so I think and that's also very common for bisexual people to feel that because gender is so meaningless to us when it comes to attraction and sexuality, that our own perception of our own gender also gets sort of like wavy (laughs) and the lines start to blur um and so that i experienced much more as a kid of the sort of like when i would have a crush on a girl and didn't realize it i would i described it to myself as feeling manly when really it was more of just like having being attracted to a girl or perceiving myself in relationship to a girl i didn't quite feel like i in that box. Yeah. Um, so that I would say was what dominated that age more than bisexuality because I clearly had crushes on boys. So that wasn't um, so much of the issue. And it's interesting. I think it, it, it's weird that as a society we can go, um, hey, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Now, I'm going to go chug a 12-pack of orange soda that tastes nothing like oranges. <laughs> like this whole, like, we for the... Let me backtrack. <laughs> I wanted to say, um, do you know who Lynn Gunn is? No. So she's the lead singer of Paris. Awesome band. Highly recommend. Um, but she came out as, as, as queer... And there was a lot of like groaning because people were like, who fucking cares? Aren't we supposed to be at a place where we don't care? And her point was having that stance, you're choosing to ignore that there is still a massive struggle for people. There is still an awkwardness in conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, like the fact that like the, the slight awkwardness that I felt in even bringing it up. Yeah. Is because it's not it's not on a full scale acceptance level, and I, I don't I don't think any you know race is always going to be a thing. Like there's all of these things that will always have some level of plight to it, but the reason why I think like I agree with her in the sense that like you have to keep saying it if you actually want it to be normal. That's where I was trying to go. Yeah, and so. Like the 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 way that your characters are being written in these in these books, um, I I said like it's perceived as like taboo back in the day or whatever, but the normalcy of the protagonist, like not having to be a straight character or not having to be a gay character, like it doesn't have to be one thing; it can be all over the place that still needs to keep happening and be talked about and be perceived as digestible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it's really funny because I didn't ever foresee myself as being someone who centered my, my writing so clearly around queer characters, but that's really what it's 
evolved into. Um, like not one of my stories right now that I have that's finished doesn't involve a character who's not queer in some way. Um, and I think that uh, one of the things that I I lean toward is um, writing stories that have queer characters in them, not stories that are about being queer. And that's my personal choice. Mm. Um, you know, it's like how recently um, with there was all of this uh, like um, stuff with the publishing industry where they were like, oh, we're going to center black authors more and we're going to center black stories and stuff like that. And it's like, OK, but you have to let black authors write whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. You can't mm-hmm. just take the stories that are about, you know, <laughs> oppression or about, you know, what you define as a black book. You mm-hmm. have to take, um, you know, the stories that are fantasies that are written by black authors that don't have anything to do with oppression in America. You know, like that, um, that is always the like second wave of push when it comes to telling stories is being able to um, tell stories that aren't about that experience, but still include these characters. Um, So I would say that rivers is probably the only one that sort of directly grapples with um, homophobia directly. Oh, yeah. And it still doesn't even do it directly. (laughs) It's still sort of indirect. (laughs) Okay. Um, re- religiously, was there ever any conflict or trepidation in revealing that to your to your parents that that side of you? Um, <laughs> I still haven't officially come out to my father. Like I've never sat down and had that conversation with him. Um, I have with my sister and my mom. Uh, and. I think because I came out so late, it was much less of a thing. Um, And because I'm, you know, now, like, I'm married to a man and I have a kid. It's one of those things where, like, people can contextualize your bisexuality as something that they don't actually have to ever address. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because it's like, oh, no, you're living a straight life, even though my my marriage is super gay in its own way. So like, it's, (laughs) it's fine. But like, uh, it's one of those things where I, you can never tell if people are accepting it or they're just choosing to ignore it. Um, uh, but I don't, again, I think my experience is unique in the sense that, um, I came to it so freely of my own accord and in such a way that like, I didn't feel, um, yeah, and I didn't feel like I was hiding that aspect of myself because I didn't understand that aspect of myself. Oh. You know, like I didn't feel like I was hiding something because I didn't really even understand it. Um, and uh, I think that um, that's one thing that uh, I would say is easier <laughs> For me in my journey of being queer is that like I've you know I've never I don't have the I wasn't kicked out of my house I wasn't sure. you know like I've only had a couple of instances where I w- was ever like you know visibly out with a girl and had a, a even mild yeah. confrontation Could you pull that guy a little yeah. close to you sorry. um so um 
it's sort of more in the like meta sense of just existing in the world as oh. a queer person and that I experience. Um, yeah. Well, that's why I, like I, I, I thought of Lynn Gunn is because when people say, why, like, why does it matter? What's what's the sense in you're married, you have a kid. What's the sense in even doing it now? Examples like you showing people that, hey, being bi does not have to be shoved into that stereotypical box of like promiscuous and partying all the time. Like th- there are completely normal, quote unquote, normal people who can still be bi or be queer or whatever. Like the more examples of like happy people, that's what I'm looking for. More examples of just happy people and being content also being willing to, to come out and say these things is super important and makes people feel less um, scared or that they have to live up to this stereotype that, that especially in America, people people push real hard. Yeah. He's crazy. <laughs> I like your boots, though. Thanks. They're <laughs> Okay, I wanted to make sure I wasn't taking up too much of your time because this is a lot of fun. I like this a lot. The debates have started. The debates have started. I don't want to talk politics, though. <laughs> I'm over that shit. I know. I feel like I got to watch it, though, because I'm going to see so much stuff on Facebook tomorrow. Um, Every episode since, I don't know, since we relaunched Duck Duck Grey Duke has had, uh, with the exception of Mackenzie, has had this um, improv adjacent thing. I don't know if you followed any of the other episodes, but... I do, I like set up a scene mm-hmm. and then the improv is the dialogue. Everything else is manufactured. So it's technically sure. not improv. I don't know if you'd be up for such a scene or not. Sure. You down? Yeah. Okay. Um, You have, okay, you're a florist. Sure. Is that what they're called or is it a botanist? Florist. Oh, well, do I put bouquets together? Yeah. I'm florist. Okay. What's a botanist? They, they do study plants. Yeah. Oh, study plants. There we go. So you're a phlebotanist. <laughs> that's different. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's taking blood. Yeah, that's a blood draw person. <laughs> oh, that's an actual word? Yeah, phlebotomy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was just merging. Phlebotomists the... are the people that <laughs> yeah, draw, draw your blood. blood. I was just mixing two words together. Look at that. That's how English works. <laughs> that is how English works. Um, okay, so you're a florist and uh, I need flowers. Um but you're also you're you ha- have like really bad allergies, <laughs> so you're trying to get me out of there as quickly as possible. So, <clears throat> uh, hi, uh, are you a phlebotomist? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I'll go get my blood drawn someplace else. But before I do that, I need some flowers. What? What kind of flowers? Are you, are you, did somebody hurt you? No, this is my, do I sound weird? This is my normal voice. Okay, I'm sorry. This is also my normal voice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, my, my grandma and her best friend are celebrating 40 years of owning a bike repair shop together. And I wanted to get them some flowers to commemorate. Do you have any suggestions? What, um, uh, do you have a price range? (laughs) Anywhere from five to six thousand dollars. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I have this prearranged. 
uh, thing over here. You can take a look at. It's got um, some lilies on it and some uh, some greenery uh, and a little tiny bear that says congrats. Oh, does that sound like something that would work for you? Well, my 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 grandma, her her husband was my granddad was mauled by a bear, so I don't think. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, do they have a, a favorite color? Is there like does their shop have a have a does their shop have <laughs> Any uh, designs that I could emulate in the... There's a lot of horns. Horns. Horns and bells. They mostly fix horns and bells oh. on people's bikes. Okay. Um, okay, well, I, ha- I have this um, this clown one over here. I guess I could take his like little horn and I could put that on... Yeah. Do you want do you, do you a have... tulip? Can I, can I, like, just, can, I, can I string it on a tulip for you? Do you have 20 more horns that you could take off of clowns? No. Oh, just the one horn? Just just the one. Well, maybe something else then. Do you have any flowers that are shaped like horns? Yeah. I mean, I mean most flowers are shaped like you know, they have bells, trumpets. Um <laughs> How about these irises? They're lovely. They're in a pot. You're they could plant them outside the shop. Well, they also love Goo Goo Dolls, so that's a great... It's <laughs> <laughs> a great upsell. I like it. Um, okay, well, um, do you accept Bitcoin? <clears throat> no. Oh, okay. I have a bunch of pennies in my trunk. Is that okay? Yes. <laughs> And then I go out to get the pennies, and you lock the door behind me, <laughs> and I don't get my flowers. That was awesome. I've actually had somebody who came through my express line one time at my old job where I met my husband and where Mackenzie worked, uh, who paid for their express lane. So, you know, 10 items or less, <laughs> trying to get people bumped out of there, paid for the entire transaction in $1 coins. Oh, wh- And then had to open up all of these new packages of $1 coins and take out all the Susan B. Anthony coins because they needed those to send to their grandchildren. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What an odd. Yeah, you could do a whole episode of just me and Mackenzie and my husband talking about this place because it's <laughs> weird. That Lots is of weird. Insane. Wait, wait, so was this a grocery store? Yeah. Mm. Oh, okay. Is legally obese the grocery store? <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to. Like, my husband still works there. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> oh. So I don't want to throw him on the gotcha, yeah, yeah. gotcha. <laughs> Then it shall remain legally obese. Legally obese. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Well, this has been so much freaking fun. Thank you again so much for coming on and doing this. Um, before I kick you out, where can people find you? Sure. Um, so uh for specifically for rivers, since that's what I came here to talk about, and we've talked very about it which is very no uh, we talk much about it <laughs> right we talked about you and and the the queerness <laughs> um for uh on my website so just um r-e-levy r-e-l-e-v-y author.com um if you go to uh stories and then click books um it has all of my books that are available and um rivers is in pre-order right now so you can um 
pre-order physical copies. I just have like a Google form for people to fill out because I can't order physical copies until it's um, I can order them personally, but people can't order them until it's like launched. Okay. Um, so okay. I'm like ordering the copies and then signing them and sending them out to people. Oh, okay. Um, and then uh, ebook copies you can already pre-order um, through pretty much every ebook real- retailer. I'm still waiting on Amazon because it takes a long time for, to get approved oh. through there. Um, but if you go to my website, like it'll have like buy the ebook, buy a physical copy. Um, and then literally all social media, it's always R.E. Levy or R.E. Levy author. Like if you search that, it'll come up. Well, awesome. Okay, that was all the socials. Yeah, pretty um, much. It, it's just River? I thought it was Rivers of Eden. Rivers of Eden. I just call okay. it Rivers ah. in my head because that's what people I yeah. just want to make sure <laughs> listeners, book enthusiasts. Do you want yeah. to give a little brief of what the... Sure. Because we talked a little around Oh, it. yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm so used to like okay. the Shh. product being out that like the, I'm, I'm bad at the hype because <laughs> I was excited about it already. Please. Sure. Um, so Rivers of Eden is a, a mouthful, a Midwest Gothic horror novella. Um, so it's about, um, two women who have been best friends their whole lives and they've been in love with each other this whole time. Um, who, when they are 17, they might accidentally have released some sort of evil entity into the world with this, um, sort of benign childhood, you know, like Bloody Mary type of ritual. Um, And it was the same night that they first kissed. Um, And then it like fast forwards five years and Margaret is married and has a baby and Emma is kind of the town floozy. Um, (laughs) And uh, stuff just starts happening in the town. And they um, both uh, feel like it has something to do with that night. Um, it's only 10 chapters, about 22,000 words. Um, quick read. People tend to zip through it. <laughs> uh, unless you're a slow reader like myself. Hey, but I'm, I'm apparently supposed to be overjoyed that you're reading it at all. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. So if you heard me talking at the beginning of this episode, what I was talking about and alluding to was this, this book that, that uh, Rachel is now talking about. Um it is so just in the first three chapters, the, the verb, it, it, you just articulate things perfectly. I can feel the humidity. I can feel the, it's been called atmospheric. Yes. Very, it's very yeah. atmospheric. Very, there was a, a word. I wish I could remember what it was, but I went, oh, what a good use of that word. Like <laughs> to myself mentally. And I was like, we can all hear you, buddy. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's very gripping. And like Kim said, I don't read books very often. It's been quite a long time. My and, husband and, doesn't read fiction either. He's never read anything that I've written. Except really? for the podcast that he narrates. Ah. <laughs> it's the only way I can get him to read it. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, I'm excited to finish this thing. It's freaking awesome. Uh, Kim Duke, any, any words? Okay. Well, I think the, you have all the words. I did have a lot of words. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Um, so the last thing that we do on, on the show is our, our listeners are called ducklings. So we say au revoir little ducklings, quack, quack. Au revoir little ducklings, quack, quack. Aw, au revoir little ducklings. Quack, quack. <laughs> Good job. That was awesome. I, now I feel bad. I didn't even think about that. I was like...
You're I was assuming that people listening had already... I went on the assumption route. <laughs> That's okay.